Hello and welcome to the third episode of Court Kings. I am Nick Sainert. And I'm Andrew Hammergren. We are going to be breaking down a little bit of NBA and college basketball as we are about a week away from the start of the NCAA season. As the NBA season has kicked off about a week ago from today. First topic on the NBA slate is, are there too many fouls being called in the NBA today? What are your thoughts, Andrew? So how many fouls do you say are per game? They're 47 average. 47 average, that's a lot. Yeah. That is quite a bit. You know, my opinion, just let the players play. You know, they're getting paid big boy dollars. Um, They're just out there trying to have a show, really. That's all it is. They're trying to have a show for everyone. Uh, I mean, James Harden last year. Shot 880, or sorry, that was 2016. He shot 881 free throws. Last year, he shot 808 or 58. Last year, it wasn't uncommon to see James Harden shoot 30 free throws in a game. I think a bigger issue was flopping within the NBA. Absolutely. And like you said, 47 between the two teams is just too many, in my opinion. People worry about slowing down the game when it comes to MLB. NFL now with the new uh, pass interference challenges that coaches can do. In my opinion, it'll only be a short time until we talk about how we don't like sitting and watching a full basketball game. 47 fouls on average, on average, so sometimes there is fewer, but that's just too many. That's that's too many. You don't want to watch guys shooting free throws. You want to guys you want to see guys shooting threes and see them taking them to the taking it to the hole strong and stuff like that. The other night in the Lakers game, LeBron who one of the if not the best player in the game, one of the best, he took it up with his right hand and he just yelled ow and he got called the foul. There was no contact, he got called the foul. The other night in the Suns game, there was a lot of controversy that Suns fans were t- chalking it up as a W if because I know or one of my friends is a Suns fan and he was saying how you know, there were 40-some free throws to 20-some for the Suns. And he said when there's when the other team has double the free throws or double the fouls, what, what are you supposed to do? And so that's just free points that they're giving away. So I think the NBA needs to take a look at this. Adam Silver needs to take a look at this and say, hey, we need to make a change before we lose fans watching the NBA. Right, and I mean, it's almost like the whole game is what everybody hates about close games in the fourth quarter, and that's, you know, the last five minutes, last two minutes maybe, will last 20 minutes because of all the fouls that are happening. And then yep. it, you have to shoot the free throws, and then just a whole cycle. But if you're having 47 fouls every single game between the two teams, I mean, that that's just way – that's just that's It's just too much. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Next topic, what is wrong with the Golden State Warriors? So looking at that embarrassing loss that they just suffered to the Thunder a couple days ago – D'Angelo Russell, who they they signed for big money, um, only had six points. Glenn Robinson the third, three points. Draymond Green, ten points. They were down by thirty-three at half. They were down by fifteen at the end of the first quarter. They had fourteen turnovers at the end of the game, and they only shot fifteen percent from three. When you're the Golden State Warriors, yes, they don't have Kevin Durant. Yes, they don't have Klay Thompson right now. But you still have Steph Curry. You still have D'Angelo Russell, like I said. Glenn Robinson III should be a good compliment. Draymond, one of the best defenders in the league. If you want to agree with it or not, he is one of the best defenders in the league. They got to shoot better from downtown. 
they 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 shoot more threes than anybody in the league, and when they're shooting fifteen percent from three, that's ugly. They were a combined negative forty six on the plus and minus scale when Draymond and D'Angelo Russell were on the floor. That's two of your starters. That that can't happen in my opinion. They need to shoot the ball better, more consistently, and come out of the gates firing. When you're down by 15 at the end of the first quarter and 33 at the end of the first half, Steve Kerr can't expect the result to be great at the end of the game. You know, and it's just growing pains. You only have one superstar on that team with Steph Curry, and a point guard can only do so much to lead a team in this modern day because you have big forwards like LeBron, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, Those are difference makers there. They can shoot other than Giannis. But they can shoot, they can drive and finish up the rim, um, and they can ju- they can just lead a whole entire team. Unlike Steph Curry, who is six foot three, yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, you can only you can't do as much as someone like Kevin Durant can do, especially when finishing around the rim. Um, but if you remember, I mean, we're not talking about a big three right here. But if we go back to when the original big three in Miami happened. They start off pretty slow. They start off pretty slow, and it, it's just growing pains, getting everybody used to playing with each other because this is a whole new ro- or, uh, Warriors roster right here. Yeah. Um, you don't really have that center. Draymond Green is playing the center. At, I mean, he's considered even a small power forward, Yeah. much less put him at center. He's a great defensive player. But then you have Omari Spellman and Eric Pascal former teammates at Villanova, I mean, they're coming off the bench, and if they're so young, you don't have Andrew Bogut like you've had or JaVale McGee. Um, it's just it's just going to take some time for Golden State. They're going to have to trade up, especially for some uh, big, yeah. big men. Um, but other than that, I think the Warriors will be fine in the long run. They're still going to make the playoffs. Yeah, no problem with that. And one thing I will say is, when going back to criticizing D'Angelo Russell and his six points, he's still averaging, I want to say, over 17 points a game as of right now, which is good help for Steph Curry. But they did not pay him $117 million to score six points. Exactly. And so that's just, I think the Warriors just need to figure it out. I think we're starting to see how big of a part Clay Thompson truly was, even though he was kind of the more quiet of the Splash Brothers between Kevin Durant and Steph Curry. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, the Warriors, they don't have as much talent as the Clippers, who are probably the best team in the NBA right yeah. now. The Lakers with LeBron and Anthony Davis. Uh, even the Jazz. The Jazz have Mike Conley yeah. and Spidey Mitchell. And uh, they're just... A, a lot of teams now in the West. I mean, it's been like that for a few years, but it's going to be exciting this year because the West is wide open. Yeah. And the East, you have the Nets, who possibly could do stuff with Kyrie Irving. Yep. Kevin Durant won't be here this year, but next year especially, having Kyrie and Kevin Durant is going to be scary. But the Bucks are probably going to win out on the East Yeah. with Giannis leading the way. But, um, I mean, the West is up for grabs. It, it really is. Um. But it's going to be an exciting year to see how that goes. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Now, next topic, is Steph Curry capable of leading the Warriors to doing something in the NBA playoffs? Now, we're talking about the playoffs. So, yes, he can win the game, and if if the Warriors need a, a clutch shot at the end of the game, they're going to give it to Steph Curry. 
but in my opinion, Andrew, he's not. He hasn't shown anything through the first couple games that he can lead this team like he used to. No, and even in the past, he hasn't been able to show up clutch in the playoffs. I mean, there's a reason his first uh, his first NBA Finals that he won. It was Andre Iguodala who won the MVP. Then the next couple, it was Kevin Durant. Steph Curry was not able to get to a different level, like playoff LeBron. Yep. LeBron in the playoffs is the definition of coming in clutch when your team needs you the most. And Steph Curry will not be able to do that. He, he's just not that kind of player. He can't take over a game like that. I mean, he can get hot and he can score yep. 40, 50 points. But having the output on the defensive end especially as well, putting the clamps on the defenders, it's just not going to be enough to just take over a series. Yeah, and it sounds like Klay Thompson's not going to be able to come back this year. So if Clay, if he can't, then that's even that's even worse for the Warriors mm-hmm. because they don't have an extra threat from downtown. If if they had Klay Thompson, who was healthy, and D'Angelo Russell and Steph Curry and Draymond and Glenn Robinson the third, then man, they're they're looking pretty good. I think that one player really changes the whole aspect of the game. But when you when you take out Klay Thompson, who is one of the top players in the league and get, can score you 25 every single night, well, then you're, you have a whole new kind of attack on the shooting side of the ball. Next one we're going to talk about, why is James Harden struggling so much? Um, just to give you some of James Harden's stats here, uh, he he's averaging quite a few points night in and night out. Um, night one, he was seen fire or not fighting but arguing with Russell Westbrook but James Harden's stats through a couple games he's averaging 36 minutes 29 points but this is the this is the shocking factor for me Andrew and you can say your opinions after I'm done here he's shooting 28 percent from the field and we've always known James Harden to be a specialist from deep he's shooting 15 percent on the season and so that's that's only He's making 15 out of 100 threes every uh, out of this in in the, so far this season, and so averaging four rebounds, averaging eight assists. So he's passing the ball maybe a little bit more, but he's going to have to be a bigger factor if they want to be able to do something in the West. Even though the West is wide open, I don't see them getting past the Clippers with this kind of production from James Harden, who frankly was in the MVP talk last year. Mm-hmm. And I think that. One of the biggest reasons for this is having Russell Westbrook. I mean, Russell Westbrook and James Harden are both known to be very selfish players. And when you put them both on the same team, both of them want to be superstars. They want that big contract. They want to be MVP. They want all that. But they're not going to want to score less points than they were before. They're going to they're gonna butt heads throughout the season. Mm-hmm. I don't know if... I, I really don't know if they're going to be able to get past that. It's kind of like Dwight Howard back with the Lakers yeah. back in the day. Uh, everybody thought Kobe, Steve Nash, Dwight Howard, that was going to be the next big super team. It, it never came up to be anything, but you know James Harden and Russell Westbrook are going to have to figure it out how they can work together so they can win as a team. Well, basically here through three games, Russell Westbrook's averaging almost a double-double. He's averaging 24 points. He's shooting 50% from the field, 37% from three-point range. 
He's averaging 13 rebounds a game and 9.7 assists from the game. Or so he's averaging a double double. He's close to averaging a triple double once again. Yeah, just like he has. The past just few like years. he has the last few years. Last year with the Thunder, he averaged 22, 23 points. He shot forty three percent from the field, twenty nine percent from deep, averaged eleven rebounds and ten assists a game. So that he averaged a triple double, and he he's looking like he's going to do that again. But like I just said, I just think that they both need to be productive. In a drastic way, if they want some, they want to do something in the Western Conference. Conference, because the Clippers, man, their defense is something that all teams should be worried about. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, two of the top defensive players. Uh, has Paul George been in the game yet? I don't. I don't believe so. But another guy to even look who might be a little lower on the the talent scale is Patrick Beverly. He's fun to watch. He's fun to watch because he's just he gets in. He, you can see it throughout the course of a, a game. He gets in the head of an offensive player, and so when you do that, man, that that offensive player, whoever it is, whether it's LeBron James, whether it's anybody, it's going to mess them up. Especially if you get a guy like Russell Westbrook or Chris Paul or James Harden who may get a little animated at times. You you uh, that that could change the the course of a game in a in a heartbeat. And he did that with Houston. Patrick exactly. Beverly. So I just think that if James Harden, and yes, it is very early in the season, and that's what everybody's going to say, well, Nick, it's early in the season. You guys got you guys got to lay off him a little bit. But why? If he wants to reign as another candidate or have another year as a potential MVP candidate, if he wants the bigger, mo- the bigger money, the biggest money that he can get, he can't be averaging... 50, or shooting 15% from downtown when he's supposed to be a three-point specialist, in my opinion. That one-legged that one legged shot is not working out for him. Yeah. Has he pulled it out in the regular season? I, I haven't seen it yet. I, I have know. not seen it He did yet. in the preseason in China, I know for sure, but... Yeah, he's got to figure something out. He should have been working on just regular three-pointers. Absolutely. Now we're going to transition from NBA to college basketball. Now, Brandon and I, a couple weeks ago, we broke down the top 25 in the college basketball game today Andrew and I will be breaking down who we think is going to win each conference title between the SEC the Big East the Big Ten uh the ACC the Big East or I already said the Big East the Pac-12 and the AAC so uh Andrew in the SEC who is your conference champion and why you know I have Kentucky uh, in the SEC, it's always been, for the past decade or so, it's been Kentucky. Uh, John Calipari is a great coach there. He recruits very well, and he knows how to win games. Um, you know, other teams that could contend, Florida, Auburn even. Auburn last year made it pretty far into the tournament. So, I mean, you can look out for those two teams as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I have Kentucky as well, just for the same reasons. Um, I think that John Calipari knows how to win in big-time moments. Um, we've seen that in the month of March. The Gators, however, will the, their biggest question for me, are they able to replace guys like Kerry Blackshear Jr. and Scotty Lewis? Um, if they are, then Florida's right there. But I think Calipari and the, the Kentucky Wildcats are my favorite to win the SEC. Now, the uh, Big Ten champion... Who do you have surviving? I have Michigan State. Uh, you know, the Big Ten has some solid teams that 
you know, may not have the flashiest players in the world. Yep. But, you know, they're solid teams all around. But I have Michigan State winning it. Uh, Maryland and Ohio State, you can watch out for them as well. I think that it's going to be – it's going to be a good tournament come March. Yeah, absolutely. I think Maryland's a good team to watch. Um, Maryland has a good backcourt. They did lose Bruno Fernando, but they have a very good backcourt um, for Mark Turgeon and the uh, Terrapins of Maryland's. But I would also have to agree with Michigan State on this one just because of Cassius Winston. Um, Cassius Winston is my pick to be player of the year. I don't know how his NBA career may be because he's just he's super short. Um, kind of reminds me of the Glenn Watson of Husker basketball, but he's going to do great things for the Spartans this year come March and Big Ten Conference play. All right, moving on to the Big 12. Can Kansas win another Big 12 title under Bill Self? What are your thoughts? When As long as Bill Self is the head coach at Kansas, the Big 12 is always going to be Kansas's conference. Uh, I mean, Texas Tech made it to the national championship last year. They made it to the national championship. They could make some noise again this year. Iowa State is always a sneaky team in the Big 12. Um, but, you know, Kansas just is always dominant within the conference, and I think it should be that same way this year. Yeah, I think it's going to be Kansas as well. Um, Devon Dotson and Uduka uh, Azubuke. Um, they, they're going to lead Kansas to the promised land. Kansas and Bill Self has never really been able to win big games come the big dance time, but I think this year's the year that they, they are in the final four, um, in, in my opinion. Okay. Let's move on to the ACC. Who do you think comes out of that conference? I think that you have to have UNC winning. North, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Uh, you know, you can have Virginia or Duke in there. Thing is, Duke had an exhibition game a couple days ago against Northwest Missouri State, who won the national title in the Division Two, and they only won like sixty-nine to sixty-two or sixty-three. It was a close game. Now, was Duke just playing the reserves the whole time, or I really don't know what happened there because there's no reason why a Division Two team should be even in the same ballpark as Duke, especially at Cameron when you have that. The, Crazy crowd there, uh, it, but you know UNC. They've just they they have the ACC. I think. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm gonna take North Carolina as well. Um, I'd pick them if they played right now, um, simply because North Carolina has far more experience than Mike Shishovsky's uh, Blue Blue Devils have. The good news, though, for Mike Krzyzewski and the Duke Blue Devils is they don't play Cole Anthony and the Tar Heels until February 8th. So they have a couple months to get prepared. By then, I expect Mike Krzyzewski's group to be a fascinating group. Um, Matthew Hurt, Vernon Carey Jr. are going to be guys who can create matchup problems for anybody. I think Cole Anthony from New or North Carolina is going to win ACC Player of the Years. But Duke or Duke's Trey Jones is going to be tough Uh get to match up for Cole Anthony and the Tar Heels, but I'm going to take North Carolina just because of their experience. All righty, next one we're going to break down is the uh, Big East. Who do you have surviving that conference? This is going to surprise you. I have Marquette. All right. Marquette, I'm going to have them win the whole thing with who I think is going to win Player of the Year and Marcus Howard. Marcus okay. Howard is crazy. He is... He is so fun to watch. He's kind of like 
the Steph Curry of college basketball today. Uh, he broke his own Big East record multiple occasions last year for most points scored in the game. And Marquette is just a solid team overall, even though, you know, they don't have the flashiest players in the world, but they do everything really well. Villanova is always going to be a factor in the Big East with Jay Wright at the coaching position. Yep. But uh, I think that it's going to be time for another team to win the Big East. And Villanova, I mean, the Big East has always been, come conference tournament time, it's always been wide open. Creighton has made the championship game, uh, you, I think, three out of the last four years. It's, it's been a lot uh, – uh, it's been a lot of Blue Jays in the tournament. Um, but then Providence as well. I don't know how they're going to be this year, but watch out for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I was deciding between Seton Hall, Villanova, and Marquette. Um, my pick is Seton Hall. Uh, the reason being the Pirates return pretty much everyone from a year ago, and they add Florida State transfer who is seven foot two, and Ike Obiagu. Um, he's one of the nation's best shot blockers. Um, so the questions are that come to mind my, come to my mind is how well will they consistently score? Um, but I think I think Kevin Willard's team is best positioned to make a run, and so I think they're. Definitely right up there, right next to Marquette. The reason I thought about Marquette is because they have former Nebraska player Ed Morrow Jr., who really, really played well last year. And so I expect him to only get better, like you said, Marcus Howard as well. All right, next conference. Will Memphis deliver on the hype in the AAC? What are your thoughts? Oh, for sure. I think Memphis. I think that the AAC is probably the conference that has the – most sure team to win the whole thing in Memphis. They have James Wiseman, who was the number one overall recruit from last year. Penny Hardaway under Memphis has done great in such a short time. And I think that having James Wiseman and a couple other top recruits within the top 100 for 24-7 sports, Memphis could even make a run in the NCAA tournament, possibly even win it, I think. Absolutely, and... Their their toughest test in the conference will be Houston Cincinnati, um, and I I think Cincinnati's the more tough one or the tougher one out of those two. I think that Memphis pulls out of this one with with an easy easy conference title here. All righty, last conference, the Pac-12. Who comes out of the western part of the country? You know, this one was actually kind of hard for me to decide. Um, you have great teams like Oregon, Arizona, and Washington, but I have Arizona okay. winning the that conference. All right, absolutely. And I had four teams in my in my opinion. Oregon, Arizona, Washington, and, and Colorado. USC is close. USC's close. I don't think they're quite there yet. I'm gonna take Donna or Dana Altman and the Oregon Ducks to win this one. They're going to have no problem replacing one of my favorite guys in Bull Bull. And I'm I'm frankly I'm ready to see the Oregon Ducks take the next step in the NCAA tournament and make a run in March. Now the last topic we're gonna talk about is the first year head coach Fred Hoiberg from Nebraska, the mayor who got his nickname from Iowa State and the Cyclones over there in Ames left them to go to the NBA and coach the Chicago Bulls. Things, needless to say, did not work out as planned. 
He's come back to where he is very, very highly respected in the college basketball world and comes home to coach the Cornhuskers of Nebraska. What kind of things do you expect from Fred Hoiberg this year? What you're going to expect from Nebraska this year is you're going to have an offense that is going to be a force to be reckoned with. Uh, You know, it's going to take a couple years, uh, but what Fred Hoiberg really builds his programs around are the junior college transfers and just transfers in general. This team is totally different. Like I, I don't know really too many players who are on the team now because he pretty much stripped that roster. Yeah. And I, Nebraska did good in Italy. They did very well. Yeah. And, um, you know, Fred Hoiberg, very nice guy. I've heard so many great things about him. Um, well, so I'm from Iowa. Okay. So I, I know a lot of people who are kind of – not so happy Fred Hoiberg went to Nebraska, but you know they, they talk a lot of good things about him, and I think that he's going to turn the Nebraska program around. And uh, I'm excited to see what he can do. Yeah, I am too. And the thing is, like you said, he basically just totally cleaned house and brought in all of his guys. Um, he, I think a big, big helpful thing that happened was he got to keep Gervais Green, who originally was a Tim Miles commit out of junior college, out of western Nebraska. Um, he was getting looked at by Oregon. He was getting looked at by Colorado, Colorado State, um, and other teams on that side of the country. And he ended up staying in, after visiting out right after Fred Hoiberg got hired. Um, head coach Matt uh, Abdesima, I can't remember how to pronounce his name perfectly. He's from uh, St. John's, I want to say. And he so he has recruiting ties out in the eastern country or part of the co- country. He actually was able to bring a St. John's commit in Cam Mack, who was a top five junior college player as well, just for more experience, which is huge because this is a team that is very very young. We talked about in the in the weekly touchdown that the Husker football team was young. This Husker basketball team is extremely young. Um, they bring in guys like Cam Mack, like Gervais Green walk-ons Charlie Easley and other guys from Omaha and Lincoln that they're hoping that can come in and produce they brought in uh the Ohio Gatorade player of the year they brought in um or they still have Thorir Thorbjörnarson from Iceland and they don't know what they're going to get from any of these guys and so you know I, I heard a couple players are trying to apply for red shirts and trying to get that waiver of the wet red shirt so that they can play this year because we're going to or Huskers are going to be super thin on the offensive and decent defensive side of the ball. And so I think one thing that Husker fans can look forward to is just this this offense is going to go fast. It's going to be really fast. It's going to be a big east offense. Yep. And so my question to you is what would you call a successful season for the Nebraska Cornhuskers? I'd say between 5th place in the Big 10 and 8th place in the Big okay. 10. I don't expect this Husker team to compete for a Big Ten title. Um, they might be – they're going to – I would not be surprised if they get to upset a couple teams if they get to play them at PBA or at Pinnacle Bank Arena. I just don't see them being able to have the – it's all about experience in basketball. Um, why is Michigan State going to be so good? Well, because Cassius Winston has experience. They know how to win on the road in tough games. They know how to finish games. Why is Villanova, Kansas, uh, all the Duke, 
all those teams super good. Well, Duke's super good because they get recruiting classes. Well, give Fred Hoiberg and his staff a, a couple years, and we're going to have that just fine. We're going to get recruits in here. We're going to get guys in here that wants to buy into the culture of, or that Fred Hoiberg and his staff want to implement into Husker basketball. It's just going to take time. It's going to take time. And all I'm hoping, what I'm hoping for, I am praying Fred Hoiberg can lock Zaire Wade next year. Yeah, which is going to be huge because, I mean, Dwayne Wade's a big Husker fan as it is. Right. I, I'm hoping, well, I'll go a step further, and this is probably a super long shot, but I'm hoping maybe Dwayne Wade can come coach, be an assistant coach. You're grimacing. Now, why <laughs> Why are you grimacing? I'm grimacing. Uh, <sighs> You know, I don't know if Dwayne Wade would want to coach at a collegiate level. If Dwayne Wade was going to coach, it yeah. would be at an NBA level. Yeah. You know, the NBA and college is a different game. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So that's why, you know, Fred Hoiberg had great success at Iowa State. But then you look and he didn't have good success at Chicago. Yeah. And the thing that kind of worries me is Fred Hoiberg has been shown on record to say he doesn't like to recruit. Yeah. And our future recruits going to look at that and they're going to be like, I really don't want to play for a coach who doesn't want to go after me and other people who would make our team better. Or is he just going to, you know, take the quote unquote easy way out and just go for the junior college guys? Yeah, absolutely. And, and my only point or my counterpoint to that about him not wanting to recruit this coach, his assistant coach, Matt, um, I'll just say Matt a is his last name. It's like a B D E L something like that. He's from St. John's. He is one of the top recruiters in the country. Um, he's known. Doc Sadler has been known to be able to recruit guys in Nebraska. So I think he's going to be – he does not probably like to recruit, but I think he's going to rely on a lot of his assistant coaches to do that. And then if he needs to go talk to a recruit or like a Zaire Wade, who is going to be a highly touted guy throughout the nation, he will do that and he will take care of that because he wants to – do everything he can to lock that player. And you know, if he puts in the effort, I know he can do well. I have heard. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I know a couple people who have personally met Fred, Ho Fred Hoiberg on multiple occasions, and they say he's one of the most down to earth people they've ever met. Yep. You know, and when he goes to those houses to talk to the recruits, their families, they're gonna want their sons to play for a guy who legitimately cares about who he is, um, wants to develop him into a good young man. And, I mean, you could also say the same thing about Scott Frost. He's doing the same thing. Yep. And I think that that's what's going to make Nebraska sports in general better is because we have people at the head that want to not only have a great team and get the best players possible, but they also want to develop them into great people because that's all that's going to matter after graduation. Absolutely. Uh, great points there. Great points throughout the show. If you guys have not listened to any of our prior podcasts of Court Kings, make sure you check those out on Spotify. Thank you guys so much for joining us. For Andrew, I am Nick Sainert. Have a great rest of your day.